Let's turn our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 15, and it is good to see all of you this morning, and to our guests, thank you for coming today. Uh, I hope that you will come back and visit with us again. Uh, if you live in the area and don't have a church home, and you're looking for a church uh, that still believes the Bible, you'll find that in the Emmanuel Baptist Church, and uh, I will be a, look forward to being a help to you any way that I can. Uh, this morning, we want to look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and I'd like for you to follow along with me this morning. I'm going to read the the first 20 verses of this chapter, uh, and then uh, we're going to focus in on a few things concerning the resurrection this morning uh, that I know that will be a, a blessing and a help to us. I would ask you this morning to give me your attention just for the next few minutes, and uh, I want the Lord to uh, accomplish what he'd have accomplished this morning. Verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meek to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. They also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all of, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. We're going to look at several different verses in this passage, but I want to draw your attention again to verse number 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? This morning, I want to preach on the subject, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. This morning, one of the things I want to accomplish is for us to maybe learn for the first time or be reminded that the resurrection... We celebrate the resurrection. The resurrection is important because it has a direct effect on us. If you're saved this morning, I want you to be reminded of what you have in the resurrection. If you've never got your salvation settled, I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. Uh, the resurrection is not a benefit unless you have salvation. 
We can talk about the resurrection, celebrate the resurrection as we should, but the resurrection was with a purpose, and that is so men might be saved. Father, help us today as we look into your word. May the Spirit of God work in the service this morning. And Father, we certainly are very aware of the fact that Christ has risen from the grave. The music this morning has been a blessing. The music has been stirring. The message of the music has reminded us that we serve a risen Savior. We don't go to a tomb where the body of a man lays, and from thence we get our theology. We know that we have a risen Savior. And Father, I pray this morning that your will will be done. If there's one unsaved, may they trust Christ today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of 1 Corinthians and in this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing, he is writing to Christians. And there were some that were teaching wrongly that there was no resurrection of the dead. This, of course, grieved many believers as their loved ones died, and certainly they would consider their own death. And there were some that said, once you were dead, you were dead. There was no resurrection of the dead. Paul addresses this error, and we see again in verse number 13, Paul very simply says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? In other words, you can't have it both ways. Uh, If Christ has risen, then there is a resurrection of the dead, and because Christ has risen, there is a resurrection of the dead. Paul, in his letter, and certainly in chapter 15, which we read, Paul gives evidence of the resurrection. In case there be one this morning, and you're not quite sure if you believe that Christ has been resurrected, let's consider what Paul wrote beginning in verse number 5. That he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. You just consider verse number 5, and he mentions Cephas, then of the twelve. He goes on to say that he was seen of 500 brethren at one time, as well as the other apostles. Certainly, if this testimony was given in a court of law, it would be accepted as something that took place. I am a, uh, I'm a fan of history. I love reading about American history. And recently, I was doing some reading, and some of the history that we have accepted is accepted from literally paragraphs of discovered letters. And we accepted this fact and we accepted this history. And might I be reminded of you, I'm convinced of the resurrection because of what I know in my heart and because uh, Christ has done something in my life, but certainly Paul is making the case and the argument of all those who are personal eyewitnesses of Christ after the crucifixion, after his body was taken from that cross. So Paul is going to address the fact that it is important that we understand that there is a resurrection of the dead because of a resurrected Christ. Now, this morning, I want to take this passage of Scripture and this theme of the resurrection, and I want to take it and I want to apply it to how it makes a difference in the life of you and me and why it matters. Why do we celebrate the resurrection of Christ? And why does seemingly the world in, in, most, in most places stop and acknowledge the fact that Christ has risen again? It's more than just celebrating a day on the calendar. For those that have been saved, it's everything. If you've yet to put your faith and trust in Christ, it's your everything. You just haven't discovered it yet. This morning, I want to 
use some applications from Scripture to how it applies to you and me. And so, first of all, let me make the first statement, which is this. There's a scriptural explanation of the gospel. You may hear the term, the gospel. We see in verse number one of this chapter, Moreover, brethren, Paul is speaking here, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. You hear that term, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which Paul is referencing here. And we see that word, and it's important that you and I have that word defined correctly. Because it is the gospel that has the power of salvation. It is the gospel uh, which you and I uh, are in need of. Now, it's very important to notice in verse number 3 again, in verse number 4, I want to point out something that is key when it comes to the gospel. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Notice this next phrase, according to the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Same phrase, according to the scriptures. See, friend, where we get our definition of the gospel matters. And Paul defines the gospel according to the scriptures. I say to you this morning that it's more important what the Bible says than what one supposed holy man says. It's more important what the scriptures say uh, than than what your grandmother has passed down. It's more important what the scriptures uh, says uh, more than what I think or what Google says or what any other religion says. Paul says, according to the scriptures. And friend, you and I this morning, that word the gospel is important. That word the gospel is vital. That the gospel is what is life-changing and eternity-altering. It is the gospel. So where do we define the, define the gospel? According to the scriptures. Friend, if there is a belief that is labeled a gospel and it doesn't come from the scriptures, it's not the gospel. It doesn't matter what religious tag you put on it. It is important that we establish the fact, and Paul is establishing this, if I'm going to address the issue of the resurrection in what I know to be fact, I know to have eyewitnesses, what I know what has been done in my life, then we must go to what the Scriptures has said. Then he uses, and he describes the gospel is described in verses 3 and 4 for us. And we see the gospel as the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Christ came to die for man's sins. That's part of the gospel. He was buried. That's part of the gospel. But we celebrate today the resurrection, the fulfillment of the gospel. And he defines the gospel according to the scripture. Again, let me emphasize to you before we define what the gospel is, it is important that we define it by the scripture. Because friend, it's not going to be a religion that decides whether or not I get access to heaven one day. It's not going to be a Catholic man, a Baptist man, a Pentecostal man, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ or you don't arrive. And so it's important that we establish it's what the Scripture says. We see in verse number 3, Paul writes, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Notice this, how that Christ died for our sins. We have the death. Friend, it's not enough to just know that Christ died, but we must know why he died. For so many in the world that believe that Christ actually died. There's historians who deny the gospel who would say Christ lived and died. 
But we must recognize why he died. Christ came to this world to die. But he came not just to be a martyr for some cause. He was the cause. He came to die for the sins of mankind. You may say, well, Pastor Neil, does that mean those that crucified him there that day? Was he there to die for their sins? Absolutely. But he was there to die for the sins of every man who had ever lived before. Of every man who would ever live after, including you and me. He paid the price of our sins. That's the death. It's not just enough that he died. And may I remind you, if you read the scriptures, the scriptures tell us that Christ gave up the ghost. Man did not kill Christ. Man did not have the power over Christ. Christ gave his life in death to pay the sin debt for all of men. So that's part of the gospel. It is the death of Christ. We see in verse number 4 and that he was buried. Christ was buried, that borrowed tomb. Well, I've had the privilege, as some of you have, is to travel to Israel and go to that place where they say that it's very possible that Christ was crucified here in this area. And it's very possible you go to that empty tomb in that garden and say, it's possible that Christ was buried in this tomb or one like it somewhere in this vicinity. And I don't believe we really know because God would rather us worship the risen Savior than the place that he may have been laid. But the fact of the matter is, he was laid in a borrowed tomb. But that's only part of the gospel. We see what we celebrate today in verse number 4, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Friend, Christ is alive. It's important for us to know what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say that Christ came to die. And Jesus did die. But friend, he's not still on the cross. He had to be buried. But friend, he's not in the grave. And the gospel, of course, is the resurrection, and he rose again the third day. So we must understand that without the resurrection, there is no gospel. We see, begin to see why the gospel is important. It's what the scriptures tell us the gospel is. It is the death of Christ. Why did Christ come? He came to pay the sin debt of mankind. And may I just stop right there and say, Christ is coming again. And when he comes again, he's coming to establish his kingdom. But that wasn't his purpose the first time. His first time was to pay for the sin debt of mankind. He was buried and he rose again. He was resurrected, conquering death and hell. That was the completion of paying for the sin debt. When Christ rose from the grave three days later, it's very, very important that we understand this. It was done. There's nothing else that Christ had to do to provide salvation. There's nothing else today in 2022 that Christ needs to do to provide a means of salvation. Now, there's something that we must do to receive salvation. But the work of Christ has been finished according to the Scriptures. Well, what else has to be done so that I might be saved? From Christ's perspective and what Christ has to do, nothing else must be done. That is the gospel. Without the gospel, there's no resurrection. And we were reminded this morning that the scriptural explanation of the gospel. And then we must be reminded, secondly, that salvation is by the gospel. Very simple this morning, but very important for us to understand uh, that uh, uh, without the gospel, there's no resurrection. And we must define the gospel by scripture. 
But then we see that salvation is by the gospel. Paul also writes as he addresses the fact of the resurrection in verse number 2. By which also ye are saved. What is he referring to? He's referring to the gospel that he mentions in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which ye also have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. And let me say to this great crowd this morning, if you're saved, you're saved by the same gospel that Paul wrote about. You're saved by the same gospel uh, that Paul was saved by. You're saved by the same gospel that every man who has ever been saved has been saved by. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those two words by which are crucial. He speaks of their salvation. He speaks of them knowing that they are saved. We see that word saved. And that's one of those words, those terms we as believers, we use because we understand what it means. But maybe you're not you're fully aware of what that word might mean. But saved from what? What is the meaning of that? Paul is writing of salvation being saved from our sin, or better yet, the consequences of our sin. Friend, when you and I commit that sin, and by the way, we are all sinners. We, we all come short of the glory of God. You may say, well, I, I know I'm not what I am, but I know I'm not a sinner. Oh, friend, we're all sinners. From the pulpit to the back of the building, we are all sinners this morning. And salvation saves us from the consequences of our sin. Friend, you and I must be reminded there are consequences to being a sinner. The Bible speaks where we fall short of the glory of God. I know sometimes we don't like to hear this, but I'm thankful as a child. I heard the fact that I was a sinner, and because I was a sinner, I deserved to pay for my sin in that horrible place called hell. And friend, we must go to the Scripture to tell us. And the Scripture tells us that there's eternal destination in heaven and hell, and you and I, our eternal soul, will spend eternity in one or the other. And because we are sinners, we are destined to that horrible place called hell. I remind you, God did not prepare that place for you and I. He prepared it for the devil and his angels, but because we were sinners, we come short of the glory of God. We have offended God. That's why the gospel is important, because we're not without hope, because Jesus came and he gave his life and he died for our sins, was buried, rose again three days, conquering death and hell. And Paul writes of the gospel, by which ye are saved from your sins. Friend, this morning, I will, I, will, I will be honest enough to tell you the truth that if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, your eternal destination, according to this book, not according to this preacher, is that horrible place called hell. But might I tell you this morning that you are not without hope, you are not without an opportunity, because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus came to this earth, died for your sins, was buried, rose again, having paid for your sins. And Paul writes that your salvation by which... The gospel, friend, I can tell you this morning, anybody in here who would testify of their salvation would say, I was saved of the same gospel that Paul writes about. And friend, it is the gospel that salvation brings us. So all of us need to be saved. All of us need to be saved from our sin or the consequences of our sin. Now, he writes to them, and this is very important, as we see in verse number two, by which also ye are saved. He speaks of their salvation. But notice the end of verse number 2, he says, unless ye have believed in vain. Now, Paul understands what you and I understand. It's easy for somebody to say, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I mean, after all, I'm here on Easter Sunday, Pastor. I mean, this world, though, gets confused by what saves them. The devil will lie to you 
and tell you that something other than Christ can save you. The devil will lie to you and tell you you've got to be a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist. Friend, being a Baptist won't save you. It won't get you any closer to hell than being a Catholic will. I know sometimes we don't like to hear that, but it's, it's what the Scripture says. I say that to say, Paul says, by which ye are saved unless ye have believed in vain. What was he referencing? What was he inferring? What was he possibly saying that there might be some who claimed to be saved that were not? Well, let me address that unless you have believed in vain. That word believe is very important. Acts 16.31 says, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. The scripture says that you believe on Christ. It didn't say you believe in church. It didn't say you believe on a man. It didn't say you believe on a religion and religious words. It says, unless you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Let me give you some simple definitions of the word believe. It means to credit upon the authority of another. Paul is reminding them, and what we've been reminded of in the book of Acts, that you can believe on the credit or the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say anybody who can be crucified, give up the ghost, spend three days in a tomb, and rise again, You can put your belief in their authority. Well, why don't you believe in anything else? Because I've never seen or heard of anything like that ever happening in any other situation. To believe on is to trust, to place confidence in, to rest upon in faith. Now, let me help us this morning. Everybody has their belief in something. By the simple definition of belief, to believe on is to trust, to place confidence in, to rest upon your faith. This morning, you may be believing, maybe you don't believe on on, on the gospel, but maybe you're believing on your own good works. According to the definition that we see in the scripture, that is believing in vain. Maybe you're, this morning, you would say, uh, by another definition, yielding of the will, a humble reliance on Christ. See, this morning, what we're reminded of from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we consider that without the resurrection, there is no gospel. We must have the gospel because defined by Scripture is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Why? So that, as Paul writes, you're saved. Saved from what? The consequences of our sin. I'm in the ministry for over 20 years. I'm the pastor of a, of a New Testament church. And friend, this morning, I couldn't get close to heaven without Christ because we have to be saved from the consequences of our sin. By which salvation, unless you believed in vain. To believe on your good works is to believe in vain. To believe on the church is to believe in vain. Pastor, what if, what if it's the Emmanuel Baptist Church? To believe on the church is to believe in vain. To believe in the prayers of another. There are some that would teach that you can access heaven because somebody else can pray for you and get you there. That is in vanity. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. To believe in a religion is to believe in vain. So we continue in this progression as Paul writes. He defines the gospel by the resurrection, needing the resurrection. He reminds us that Salvation is obtained by the gospel. So, friend, this morning, as we continue, you believe in something. What is it you're putting your faith on? What is it that you're putting it on the authority of? Yourself? 
Do we really want to enter eternity with depending on ourself to get us to heaven? Do we really want to put our authority on another man? Well, he's a holy man, he's a good man. Do we really, what the Bible says, for all have sinned? A sinner can't pay the price for another sinner. It took the Son of God. But then this is important as Paul continues to write. I want us to see thirdly the gospel bestowed. This is a wonderful verse of Scripture. Look with me at verse number 9 and verse number 10. For I am the least of the apostles that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now very quickly, the apostle Paul, before he trusted Christ, was Saul, the church persecutor. As those followers of a of Christ, those believers of Christ, those who trusted in his resurrection, Paul persecuted them. Paul had them put to death. Before he was Christ, he was that, before he met Christ, he was that church persecutor who saw, who persecuted the church, closed down churches, had, had Christians arrested, put them to death. He says, I'm unworthy to be apostle because I, per, I persecuted the church of God. Notice this in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. If you study the life of Saul who became Paul, he was a very educated man. Study of philosophy, study of languages, certainly he knew the scriptures. We find nothing in verse number 10 of him writing about his talent or his intellect or his education, but three times you see the word grace. We see what Paul was in verse number 9. He even acknowledged, I was the one who persecuted churches. What would we think about an individual who on the authority of the government had the authority to walk into this place And just because we claim the name of Christ as our Savior, imprison us or put us all to death. And then all of a sudden, he's preaching the same Christ. You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. That's why Paul mentions the word grace three times in one verse. That word grace, unmerited favor. See, what Paul was acknowledging, there was nothing because of the way he lived, there was nothing he could do to change his eternal destination. But because of the grace of God, the gospel, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he was not what he used to be. He, we see what he was, we see what he is now. It's important for us to notice in verse number 10, how did this transformation take place? How does one go from putting Christians to death to preaching the same Christ. And he did not become just a casual Christian. He went to prison because of his beliefs. He, he, he was what you would call, uh, what some would label an extremist of this day. He took it seriously. He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. How does one go from a murderer, from a vile man, to now preaching the name of Christ Others, churches are looking to him now for leadership and direction. How does that take place? It is there in verse number 10. Look at it with me. Which was bestowed upon me. That word bestowed means given gratuitously, conferred, laid out, 
applied. What Paul is saying, there's nothing that I could do to change me from what I was to what I am now, but the grace of God was applied to me. It was bestowed upon me. Friend, let me help you. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, "Uh, Pastor, I hear what you're saying, and I believe that Jesus came to this earth, and I believe he paid the sin debt, and I believe he died and was buried three days and rose again, but if there's an exception, it's got to be me because you don't know what I've done. Oh, did you murder Christians? Have you shut down churches? Well, if you don't fall in that category, let me tell you, God took a church persecutor, took a a murderer, and by the grace of God applied to a life, he became a new man. He became a new creature. Friend, this same God, this same salvation, the same gospel is freely available for you and I today. Let me tell you, if you've never heard this before, if, you've done, if you're starting to get an understanding of what it takes to be a, a Christian or, or that word salvation and saved, let me tell you, everybody who says an amen this morning and everybody who nods their head because they're on the other side of God bestowing the grace, let me tell you, they were just like you this morning. They didn't know where the eternity would be or they didn't want to face the prospect of what they knew to be reality in their life. They knew they were a sinner, but they heard the story of one name Jesus who went to the cross of Calvary, who paid my sin debt, who went, who gave his life and three days later he was resurrected because without the resurrection there's no gospel. We find Paul writing about the bestowing of the gospel. Paul declares it was not earned but given. Well, it's got to be exhausting to try and earn your way to heaven. Because if you're Counting on earning your way to heaven, you're never going to get there. Don't get offended by that and say, how, how could you say that? I didn't say it. The Bible says it. The Bible also tells me that hope is available through the gospel. It's bestowed. All you've got to do, friend, this morning is have the same grace bestowed to your life that Paul had bestowed to his life. The same grace that's been bestowed to my life. Let me tell you what makes a difference in my life. It's the grace of God being bestowed upon me. Say, oh, but you're a pastor. Oh, it wouldn't get me any closer to heaven without the grace of God being applied to my life. Then number four, and finally, I want you to see the hope and security of the gospel. Paul goes on and continues to write, and we've already seen verse 13 saying, if there's no resurrection, there's there's, there's no hope. But he doesn't leave the people with that. He says, then Christ isn't risen. But look with me in verse number 17 through verse 20 again. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. They also which are fallen asleep in Christ, talking about the dead, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. I want you to listen very carefully. This is the last point I'll make this morning, and we'll conclude at, at the end of this point. But I remind you that we must have the gospel for salvation. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. But Paul writes, and we've been reminded this morning that because of the death, the burial, and resurrection, there are more than enough witnesses who saw Christ after he had been crucified. We know he has risen 
from the dead. And we're reminded of the grace that, that is bestowed upon us. We don't earn it. You don't inherit it. And I say, praise God for that because there's nothing I can do to earn it. There's, certainly, if you knew my family, you know I wouldn't be inheriting you know, perfection from them. Sorry, Mom and Dad. But you know, you'd know, you know that it wouldn't be inheriting from them. Well, what is it? It's bestowed, applied to us. But look at the hope and security of the gospel. And if you've never trusted Christ, you've never put your faith on His authority, you may not understand why when the songs are sung about eternal life and salvation in heaven, well, some get excited about that. You may not understand all the words and all of the things that go on in a place like a church. But if you understand the hope and security of the gospel, it'll give you a glimpse of what we hold on to. We see in verse 17 and verse 18, notice this if you will, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. I have in my Bible, I have those last few words of verse 17 underlined, ye are yet in your sins. That is a scary thought. Let me apply this personally. It's a scary thought that there's a scenario that I could still be in my sins. Because this Bible tells me if I'm in my sins, my destination is that horrible place called hell. That's a scary thought to think that I would still be in my sins. But friend, let's apply that to all of us. It ought to scare you this morning for you to still be in your sins. If there was no resurrection, Paul's saying, we would all be in our sins. And they also, verse 18, which are fallen asleep, those that are already dead in Christ are perished. I can't see that word perish without thinking of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus reminds Nicodemus, that religious ruler, that God loved the world so much He sent His only begotten Son, speaking of Himself. That if you believe in Him, what? The gospel. Why He came to pay the sin debt. That He was going to die for a man and He rose again three days later. That if you believe in Him as your means of salvation, you should not perish. Then I think of John chapter 10 verse 28. And I give unto them, Jesus is speaking unto them, eternal life. and They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Friend, there is hope in, because of John 3.16. There is security because of John 10.28. If you believe in the gospel, there is hope and security. Friend, if you're saved this morning, you ought to rejoice in that. Certainly, we celebrate a risen Savior. We celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty because there is hope in Christ. Well, how sad is the choir was singing and listening to those words about how we don't go to a, a religious man's place and we look at a place where he's still buried. Friend, our Savior, our hope is alive. He sits at the right hand of the Father. 
Death could not hold them. There is hope in that. There is security. As Jesus said, they shall, have, they shall never perish. And Paul writes, then if Christ be not raised, he's saying there is no hope. Friend, if you're saved this morning, don't live like there's no hope. Our hope is in Christ. Don't live like there's no security. We have security in Christ. Friend, we must, very quickly, we must also make the contrast. As we've already seen and established from the Scripture, if we know Christ and we've received the gospel, then we have hope and security. Well, we must flip that coin over figuratively, if you will, this morning. And if you, the other side of that coin is if you've never accepted the gospel. There is no hope in security. In verse number 19, Paul writes, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're all of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. If in this life only, if there is no resurrection, Paul writes, if this is all there was to it, we'd be of men most miserable. Still true today. If this was all there was to it, we'd be of men most miserable. Say, oh, you don't understand, Pastor. I got my whole life ahead of me. You don't understand the things that I have. Oh, there's many here who tell you that they've lived it, they've done it. And as they've got older in life, they look at life and say, well, I'm thankful for the life God's given me. There's got to be more than this. How miserable, miserable would we be if this was all there was to it? If we only live for this life and do not consider eternity. Friend, you and I must consider our eternity. And if you've received the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you were faced with your eternity, the prospect of what it would mean without Christ. And friend, this morning, as Paul writes, we must be reminded of the hope and security of the gospel. Only, hope and security only comes from the gospel. I remind you of Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death. Well, we all know that we're going to die, but it's speaking much more of that. Because of our sin, and I don't think anyone would try to make an honest argument that they're without sin this morning. Because... If you want to make that argument, we need to address honesty and pride right out of the gate. We're all sinners, and the Bible tells us the Scriptures. Friend, if you're not going to believe the Scriptures, what are you going to believe? Your own intellect? If you're not going to believe the Scriptures, you're going to believe Google? The Scriptures is what we get the definition of our, the gospel, where we get our salvation, where we, where we know what we believe. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but it's not talking about that first death, that physical death. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first death is when this physical body expires. But there is a second death for those that do not believe on the gospel. And Scripture tells us that the day is going to come, if we read that entire chapter, when the dead are called up before Christ and those that have never named the name of Christ, they will be judged 
as Paul wrote, in their sins. And every man will come up short. And then those that do not know Christ, those who have not received the gospel, will be cast into that lake of fire and death and hell. We're cast into the lake of fire. That's the second death. Friend, I must be honest when I tell you I must care enough to tell you that if this describes you, if you have not believed on Christ as the Scripture teaches, you better fear the second death. The resurrection does no good for you if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must fear the first death because once the first death comes, that physical death, there's nothing you can do about the second death. See, the Scripture tells us the choice is clear. Everlasting life or the second death. So, perhaps this morning you're here, you're listening, and you have heard the Apostle Paul make the case and the Scripture describe what the gospel is. And we celebrate the resurrection not just because it's a day on the calendar. We celebrate it because it's the gospel. And we must have the gospel in order to have salvation. And how do we have that? It's bestowed to us. It's applied. How? Because we believe. Boys, we are faced with that death, that, that choice of everlasting life for the second death. I remind you what the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Listen to these words. And the first begotten of the dead. And the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. If if you've not read of the account of the crucifixion and the physical suffering that Christ endured. On top of the physical suffering, the spiritual. He took upon him the sins of mankind. Unto him that loved us. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He did it for you. Christ didn't need salvation. He is salvation. He loved you unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Friend, if you're saved this morning, if you believed on him, you know it's true. Christ washed you in his, with his, from your sins with his own blood. I give you verse 18 of chapter 1. And I am he, Jesus is speaking, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Friend, this morning, if you've already been faced with eternity, and the gospel has been presented to you, and you believed on Christ, what a wonderful peace that you have of knowing your hope and security is secure. But this morning, perhaps. You've heard this before, but you've never acted on it. Once again, this morning, you come to a point of decision. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. Your friend is right there in black and white in God's Word. The only thing that will save you from your own sins is the gospel. 
Not just being aware of the gospel, but believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which one of you may say, say, well, that's it's kind of bold of you to say that your sins have been forgiven. Whose authority uh, do you say that on, Christ? Because I believed on the gospel. We bow our heads this morning.